0: This is The Star Coach Show with Meg Rentschler, episode 334. Every generation has its strengths and its challenges, and there are more and more generations in the workplace working together. So as coaches and leaders, how are we understanding what each generation brings and what its special needs are? In today's show, we are zooming in on Gen Z with my guest, Dr. Robert Sullivan, who has been a university professor for over 20 years. He has seen different generations come through the system, and we're going to talk about what is special about Generation Z, what really makes them tick. Join us.
1: Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler as she connects you with your star coaching potential.
0: Welcome to the show. It's fabulous to have you here. And I've got to tell you, if you looked at the title and thought, but wait a minute, Meg, I don't know if I work with Gen Z. I promise you, you're going to want to stay tuned and listen to today's show. Because whether you work directly with Gen Z, you work with people who work with Gen Z, and you will interact and engage with Gen Zers. So what Dr. Robert Sullivan is sharing today about what motivates them and the things they think about, those are all going to be important in your overall insight and awareness. So I invite you to join us today and we're going to tell you more about what you're going to learn through my interview in just a minute. If this is your first time to the Star Coach Show, or you don't know me yet, let me introduce myself. I'm Meg Rentschler. I'm an executive and mentor coach. I've been working with leaders to expand their leadership and build their confidence as leaders through using coaching in their leadership for over a dozen years. I've also been teaching and mentoring coaches for 14 years now. And what I know to be true is that coaches want to make an impact in the world and need to get obstacles out of their way to be able to do that. That's why I've created the Star Coach Show, to create those resources around building and developing our skills, creating businesses that help us flourish and bring our work to our clients. And how we can change organizations with the power of coaching. Now, how do I do that? I do that through this podcast. I do that through the membership site that goes with the Star Coach show to take your learning that much deeper through mentor programs, facilitating trainings, all those ways that we can engage. You engage with your clients. I engage with my clients to help make the world a better place. And so I'm thrilled that you're here. I'm thrilled to be able to be sharing this information with you today. And let me tell you a little bit about my guest, Dr. Robert Sullivan. Dr. Sullivan is the Dean of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Dallas Baptist University. He's been there for over 20 years. So he has taught different generations over these past two decades. And he's going to help us really zero in on our Zoomers, those young generation that are impacting the world right now with the work that they do. Dr. Sullivan has a background in political science, in law, and in urban planning. And he talks about how his Degree in urban planning really influences the way that he looks at this generation and some of the challenges and, and benefits that they have in front of them. We're diving in today to some of the characteristics of this generation, ways that if we work with them, we might want to think about things and also think through the lens of helping other people Better understand this generation. We live in a time where multiple generations work together. We see things through different lenses. How can we use the lens that we have and widen it so that we can create the communication and the flow and the understanding that helps all of us do better together? So I am delighted to introduce you to Dean Sullivan, who is also the author of the book, What's the Plan? We'll talk about that later. Until then, let's go to my interview with Dr. Robert Sullivan. Dr. Rob Sullivan, welcome to The Star Coach Show. Oh,
1: thank you, Meg. It's it's awesome to be here. I'm very excited to talk about this topic and just good to get to know your audience better.
0: Absolutely. And we're going to dive into something that is so pertinent. We're in a, a stage of our like culture and our life that there are so many generations in the workplace so many generations interacting with one another. And you, working at a university, have the opportunity to engage with mentor and coach Generation Z, our Zoomers. And so we thought it would be great to talk about what's unique about this generation when we're engaging with them through a helping conversation, whether that's coaching or mentoring. What are some of the things that seem to be most important? What are some of the tips that we can give to engage fully with this generation and really help them get to where they want to be? So, when we open that up, let's just talk about the fact that through your role as both an instructor in leadership in Mm -hmm. the at the university, what are some of the things that you, when you're engaging? As a mentor, as a coach, what are some of the things that make this generation sort of unique to you?
1: What makes them unique? Yeah. Okay. There's a couple of thoughts I have, and I think anyone can look online and look at the data and look at the the resources and and get the sense. And there's some usual talking points for each of those for the Gen Z. Uh, and with Gen Z, we're talking about I think the Formal ages at this point, uh, eighteen to twenty-five. So you're looking at 1998 to uh, what 2005, maybe a little bit later, a little longer. And but Gen Z, this is the the summary. And then what I'm going to do is just talk about what you find when you Google what mm-hmm. makes Gen Z unique, and then my unique experience. So they like, they are very purpose oriented, very focused on pursuing a sense of purpose and deciphering meaning in their jobs. Uh, and that includes, as opposed to owning things. Okay, so Meg, I'm a, I'm a child of the 80s. And so if I'm going to critique any generation, I'll critique mine first. We were very materialistic. I mean, you remember that, you know, you maybe have seen some of the movies, whatever it were. We are very driven by ownership and accruing things. And this generation is definitely more accruing experiences, whether that's traveling or the workplace, you know, things that they can, you know, experiences they can build upon and and just remember and tell people, you know, years from now. This generation is very creative and very can be very innovative because that, that's their life, right? They're digital natives, but also that digital native aspect, especially when you have Covid, as you mentioned, was a great, great little connection there. It really reminds me a good, a good segue into how that impacted their lives. Right. Uh, my son was a senior in high school when the, in 2020, and so the pandemic affected you know his graduation and that that just that last half of your senior year, which is so critical because you get to say goodbye to folks and just kind of right. they didn't really have that, and so that's probably part of the experience and the need. It probably speaks to this next characteristic, which is again, a general, the research will will tell you that this is a very anxious generation mm. that struggles with developing an identity and maintaining what I guess would, I would call a firm foundation that supports their beliefs. And mm-hmm. so at times they struggle with, I guess, believing in a certain truth or a specific truth And I can kind of see why they would think that because, you know, they've had these prior generations, mine included, that uh, maybe don't always focus on that, maybe get too focused on other things besides meaning and work. And so you can see this, it could be just a, you know, something their parents instilled with them, or or in some cases it might be, I wouldn't say it's a mild form of rebellion, because as I'm going to note, they pivot away from some of the beliefs that their family has, family has, but it's not open... Rebellion like the hippie, you know, this right?
0: Right. No, but I think about the fact that even sort of institutionally, right. you know, there's so much who do we look up to? There's so much gap between yeah. the leaders that we would look up to, right. And so much, I don't know, negativity right now. Right. I mean, as I can see that that would create sort of a foundation of uncertainty and anxiety. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, because I remember walking, uh, uh, at around campus, and we have pictures of some of the former presidents, and just remembering, regardless of their history and their personal lives, there was a sense of respect and, and expectation <laughs> that they were engaging in sacrifice for us, you know, even right. though they were enjoying being president and living in the White House right. And you don't necessarily see that. and I think part of that is this is something important that that people may not always pick up on, but they're in a world where everyone is told to brand themselves, And so there is this sense of focus on self, focus on your growth, and that growth is typically financial. And so it's not in, you know, sometimes it's in a greedy way, but but it's kind of been reshaped as I want to own things and it's replaced with, I want to be able to have some level of autonomy and live those experiences I want to live. And the way to achieve that, of course, is some kind of physical freedom, right? Right. So that's become the banner for it. But there's still this sense of branding and this self-focus that kind of, as I'm going to mention, doesn't reject sacrifice, it just kind of crowds it out. You know, we have earlier generations who are very willing to make sacrifices for the greater good. There's people in the workplace that they will encounter who do the same thing, who do unsung jobs. And so there's the need to develop an appreciation for those types of tasks and those people. So that's another aspect. Yeah. Okay.
0: And what else? What else um, does Uh, the research tell us about this generation?
1: There. Well, I think that kind of that kind of summarizes the big stuff on on the research. I mean, there's other there's other things. I mean, some of it can be very dark. You can take that mental health piece, that anxiety piece, Mm -hmm. and move it forward. What I notice is the connect. What I call, I like to call, the connective tissue. What's the source of anxiety? And that's when you're coaching them or mentoring, that's, that's a good place to start because that can help reduce the anxiety and give them a sense of direction and structure. And I think that's what, that's something that people are really saying. They job hop a lot. And this is, this is what I, I see in my life. Yeah.
0: Let's dive into your own yeah, experience. Yeah. And by the way, my generation. own experience
1: probably had, there's not going to be a complete disconnect with the general research, right?
0: Well, that's uh, a positive, I guess.
1: Yeah, 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 it is. It is. But there's some, uh, let's let's kind of start with this developing that identity and overall mental health and anxiety. My students are very open about their anxiety. You know, we've, we've conducted my own college. I've called for surveys of this along with other things about calling and structure as part of, you know, uh, some of the stuff I'm working on, including my book, but it's, I've even asked my classes and I said, you don't have to volunteer this, you know, but if, if you have a sense of anxiety, I'd love to, you know, have, you know, talk more about that. that And, we could have you know, time just to discuss that. And we also, in my college, uh, I'm the dean of, There's, the, we have a counseling center, we have psychologists, we have all the mental health experts. And I, Usually, you know, I say, if it's something serious, don't talk to me. But if it's just some general anxiety, right. we, can, we can chat about this. And what
0: I love about that coming from a, a background of, of being a therapist for over 20 years is that that sort of normalizes it. Like you being yeah. able to say in front of the class, look, if you're experiencing some anxiety, Let's talk about it. It's like, oh, that's okay to talk about, and oh, there's other people. Are, every everybody around me is nodding their heads. They're, right. they're, you know, I'm not the only one.
1: No, no, that's absolutely true. And I, and I don't know if they have that as part of conversation because there is this stigma, especially. So, and my background is I've had some, you know, I had to some procedures earlier this year that, and I was very anxious about that. So I'm not, and I have a, a sense of, you know, there's part of me I think that has always dealt with anxiety as well. So I'm very sensitive to that. And especially at an early age, it's one thing to be able to manage that, process that, manage the expectations of yourself and others once you're at a certain point in life, a a seasoned point in life, as I like to call it. But when you're young and you're trying to figure out the world and you're separated from your family, it's a different construct altogether. And so, yeah, I think it's pretty critical to talk about that and talk it through. And they... And obviously, like a lot of people with anxiety, may not, unless you ask, you may not identify it immediately with all of them, all of the students. And so you may miss someone and there may be a big concern about that. Uh, also, there is anxiety itself creates this sense of stigma because the first, you know, you have this receptor, you have this, this source of anxiety, right? And then, and this, by the way, I need to be careful because I'm not a therapist. So you can correct me on it. Right. And
0: I was going to say the other side of that is to, to reinforce, you said pretty clearly, you know, if it's something we could just want to talk about, if it's a different level, you're going to refer them to an appropriate right. professional right. to right. deal with, with that.
1: Right. And they, and they, but they usually there's this inward internal guilt of why do I feel, why am I anxious about anything? And I come from a, Christian Baptist background and there's a lot of that community that's very you should not be anxious about anything, you know, even though it's you know, fear is very, very clearly part right. of that. And and, right. and, and we're not feeling and,
0: only... and shooting on people never works well anyway. No, but,
1: no, yeah. no, but there's just there's, there's there's this history of that. Yeah,
0: it's just the reality. Right. A mm-hmm.
1: few more things. On that mm-hmm. meaningful work aspect, they definitely seek meaningful work, but that can often lead, a little surprise, to job hopping. I've had several students come back to me and After graduating, not all, some really love what they're doing, but they find meaning in what they're doing, whether it's working on Capitol Hill or like you said, in counseling. And, but some of them say, and they'll have a good job, good pay, you know, in the eighties would have been, (laughs) this is awesome, you know, buy the nice car and everybody would be impressed by me, but they will say, you know, is that, is that it? Is that all there is to it? I'm like, I'm already bored with my job. I've already, and this is six months in, by the way. Yeah. And of course, there's that. I remember kind of feeling that way when I was younger too. And it takes a while to gather the full, what we might call tacit knowledge of that field and the impact you can make. And one of the things I write about is no matter what you're doing, your calling, no no matter the task, as mundane as it seemed, that somehow connects to your calling. And I think when we're talking, when we're coaching, and this is a great opportunity to help them understand this full understanding of the opportunities. Uh, big picture, but also this kind of benchmarked incremental approach to, you need to understand that you're going, a couple of things you'll struggle with is obviously you have to get the reps in and understand this basis of foundation, but that can lead to bigger and better things, whether you're there or not in the same place or not, but they, they can job hop, they can career hop. They can feel this sense of, if I'm not getting meaning immediately, I'm going to move on, which is, you know, not the worst thing in the world because that's becoming kind of widespread anyway, this sense Mm -hmm. of I need to be at a place two, three, five years as opposed to 20. So that's changing that for the better. And that's really logical, but trying- So I'm hearing
0: sort of that balance between if you were coaching somebody who is in this generation and maybe they're feeling itchy or I'm not getting all my needs met six months in, how can you both support and challenge that concept of right. and you know what would be the downsides of of hopping again? What would be the benefits of that? Right. Be- really being able to help them see beyond the maybe the narrow view they're looking right now and explore other possibilities.
1: I'm a, Meg, I'm a big fan of the cost benefit analysis. If that's one approach you want to take, obviously there's some deeper dives you can do, but just. What happens if I leave? What happens if I stay? And usually that's one of the toughest, and as I write about, that's one of the toughest decisions you have to make. Mm -hmm. And you have to decide whether you're being, you know, whatever sense you have, whatever source you look at for wisdom. What's pushing me one direction? What's pushing me another direction? What, What does my gut say?
0: We'll get back to my interview with Dr. Robert Sullivan right after this. You don't have to be a Gen Zer to want to do meaningful work. As a matter of fact, every person that I've met that's gone into coaching has gone into coaching because of the meaning of work for them, the ability to really impact other people's lives and their own lives in being able to have these deeper forms of communication. One of the things that I know creates anxiety for coaches is putting their mentor coaching off to the last minute. Did you know that you have to have 10 hours of mentor coaching if you're an ACC coach re-credentialing? And if you're a PCC coach, you can use mentor coaching for 10 hours toward your core competency credits. They count as core competency credits for ACCs as well. So if you would like to build your coaching muscles, get even more confident in your ability to coach, re-engage with the core competencies and build incredible relationships with other coaches, I want to invite you to explore mentor coaching with me. Go to starcoachshow.com slash mentor, starcoachshow.com slash mentor. I have a new program starting in May and would love to have you join starcoachshow.com slash mentor. Now let's get back to the show.
1: Here's another one. And I think this can connect with coaching and mentoring and working with this generation is this sense of, we grew up. And we started working and we started having careers with a sense of location. Because and I and I study, as I mentioned in my bio, my PhD is in urban planning and policy. So urban planning is a it's just a huge hobby of mine, understanding the economic side of how cities develop and why cities don't, and mm-hmm. why some places are cities and why some places are still little, you know, town rural towns. What's causing that? And the big one of the big main answers to when we see the growth of in urban development is it's responding to people's decisions, but a lot of those decisions are built on transportation. And, you know, where I'm at, it's the car. And a lot of cities were built based on the car. And so the map that we, you know, that we map out in our heads or the the decision we map out in our heads is, okay, this is where I'm going to work, or this is the area where I'm going to work. And where am I going to live in proximity to that? Right. And those decisions were always, usually okay. I want to be close when I'm younger, and then as I get a family and I get more responsibilities, I want a lawn. I want a place where the kids can play safely, and all of that. And that's, and that's all great. This is uh, there's a couple of terms in urban planning that we use called friction of distance, and the friction of distance is decreasing, and so people, you know, can always move farther away because the tra- the total commuting cost it's another phrase, has gone down, right? The cost of gas, the cost of the car, and just the, the distance required because there's more roads and there's more opportunity for people to drive. That whole infrastructure is becoming less important because another fun one we use in economics, There's there can be footloose labor, footloose capital and footloose labor, which is another way of saying you can live anywhere you want and work for whoever you want and it doesn't have to be in the same proximity. And so I guess a prediction of mine is that the, you know, the reliance on the car and transportation, that same focus we have, is going to de- decrease with this generation. And how does that connect with what we're talking about? Well, there's some pluses to that, absolutely. But it does, it makes them more reliant on that digital native characteristic mm-hmm. and all the pluses and minuses related to that. And one of the minuses I would see is, we develop a sense of self and where we live. We develop a sense of community and where we live. And there's that sense of socialization, and that's something that could be missing that we need to need to think about and and factor in, especially as you're coaching this generation who is re- working remotely. And I'm I'm expecting most at some point will either have that's the other thing. There's a the new categories right there's the okay I'm going to get a job going to work you know it's accountant lawyer whatever for a firm. So I'm going to work for someone. They're not afraid to be entrepreneurs. And so because they see this, and that'll speak to my next characteristic.
0: So one of the things that I think is so key to what you're saying that I've experienced both with people that I've coached, I think closer to home by two adult children is your oldest graduated high school during the pandemic, my youngest graduated college. So His senior year in college was hit by the pandemic and influenced not just the way that he was able to graduate from college, but also that he went immediately into remote work. That's all that was being offered at the time. And so I have a 28-year-old, a 25-year-old. The 28-year-old has been having to go in all through the pandemic. He worked on site. He has just taken a job that's going to be hundred percent remote. So both of my children work remotely. And I think that that is a, a loss in some ways. It's a loss of being able to engage fully. How did we make our friends and how do we, we were in the workplace. We learned how to engage with other people socially in the workplace. We had to get dressed and go into you know, so there's, I wonder what your thoughts are about this generation being impacted by the fact that far more jobs are going to be remotely offered. And what does that do for socialization and the ability to make friends and really establish? I mean, my oldest has these great friends from college that he gets with Every week, but they are they're getting together digitally because they live in all different states. So I don't know. I just think that for this generation, that's a huge piece of the puzzle. And I'm wondering what you're thinking. There's I get
1: there's pluses and minuses with that because there were friends I had in college that I did not able I wasn't able to maintain the relationship because there wasn't this cut social media and Zoom Mm -hmm. connectivity that we have now. So there's a way that you can still build upon those relationships that were already strong, deep relationship. Now, again, as we've discussed, part of that socialization is work-related. And so if you're working remotely, you're going to have a different relationship with those employees, right? And then we don't know how that would impact where they live. You know, they may still live. There's a lot of theories that say they want to live in urban areas because they love, they're a very creative generation. This makes sense. There's, There's great creativity in the urban realm. And of course, more and more, as we all know, part of urban development studies will tell us, well, the rural is kind of being crowded out, you know, anyway. So I think this sounds crazy to me, but I think, you know, we're both in Texas. I want to say the census says 87% of the urban, excuse me, of the Texas population is urban and you're like, well, what about West Texas? Well, no, that's thing nobody lives there. So, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly, yeah. uh, right. So there is people there. There's right.
0: just a smaller percentage. Right. And
1: of course, we may be redefining what urban means, though, given right. the expanse. Right. They, and I think they still may want a separation from that. But the main thing is they don't have to go to a job specifically, and so and they don't have to necessarily connect with their neighbors, in, you know, every day or on a consistent basis. So you're you do have that concern on the you know maybe. Maybe the concern or critique side, um, connectivity, community. And that we've seen that anyway, because people used to live in homes, you know, the same neighborhood for decades, and now That's they true. they sell five to seven years. Yeah. And so we I could see that happening with this generation, although this generation will also tell you, like, when am I going to be able to they'll ask you, when am I going to be able to afford a home? You know. So right,
0: they, right. There's yeah.
1: that too. So if they're if they're not able to afford a home, which is, you know, at this point, we're kind of seeing that economic concern, then there is that more nomadic approach that they may adopt. Mm -hmm. And especially since they can live anywhere. And so that does impact the community connectivity aspect of their lives. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I know you've got another point and then we're going to move into your tip. And I appreciate that discussion. It's obviously it's close to home. And I just see so much possibility and also some of the costs that, that oh, are- Yeah, yeah are- oh,
1: you're right. Absolutely. They're on yeah. both. And that's the case with any. There's unintended consequences with policy decisions. Right. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I actually have three, but I'm going to just run through two real quick, okay? Okay. They Back to the digital na- uh, native aspect. They love gaming and that impacts their worldview, in my opinion. They struggle with change, which is interesting because it can be very entrepreneurial. The other thing is this, I'm going to expand on this a little bit more. This is a, I like to compare this to my experience. I was interested in investing in the stock market and all that when I was in college, but I struggled with an entry level. Like, okay, I have to go to a broker and I had you know, a friend of mine. Yeah. Right. And I kind did, of intimidating. You
0: know?
1: Yeah. 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 The whole thing was like, Ooh. And they, they had these little green machines, the Bloomberg machines. I'm like, I can't, I can't even read this. And uh, and then I, all all of these things that to me were required to fully under, understand investing and invest it's like there's a there's a high hurdle. Well, one day my students come into class and they're all like, "Okay, did you buy more Game GameStop? Did you buy more uh, AMC?" And they're just like on Acorn and stuff like that. It just gives them ease of access to do that. You know, now now so they have such ease of access to everything, and that's their whole mindset because they've mm-hmm. they've always had that. And of course. This is a critique of the internet and and just the digital social media aspect of life. Ease of access, but how deep is the knowledge and how accurate is the knowledge? I mm. think of the Dwight truth, false or fact. How do we know that what you're, you know, you're doing the right thing and you understand what you're doing? And so they they have at times they have to experience that sense of loss or failure because they didn't. Right they just ran with it and all their friends were running with it. And they thought, okay, this is easy. And they've had people tell them it's easy. And they in their lives, everything just seems to go up, but it doesn't always. So that's another challenge too, trying to have them understand the complexity of career and, and plan financial planning and family planning and all that.
0: Let's dive into, what would you say are your tips for okay. working with Boom, uh Zoomers. I okay. almost said boomers because Daniel went to OU boomer sooner. Yeah, but yeah. uh um zoomers.
1: Okay, so I call I have the acronym CAPE for this. Mm-hmm. First one is is C, obviously. It's avoid generational condescension and, and connect with them. So I always I remember dealing with this when I was, you know, in my twenties, having someone who's supposed to be helping me find a job, say, Well, you're your generation is, you know, has this sense of entitlement and, you know, has that and just that's the starting point in mm-hmm. working that he, he, he assumes. So you don't he, feel
0: real connected with somebody who's sort of shaming your generation.
1: <laughs> no, absolutely not. You're like, okay, great. So wonderful. Mm-hmm. So you need to connect with them. And One thing, you know, there's one characteristic I failed to mention that does show up, I ex- shows up in my experience, but also in the data and the research is whatever. They're very nostalgic. I don't know if you had this experience with your kids, I me, and once within that that range, but my sons and the other people I know, they they love old music, they love old movies, and I thought, is this my fault, or, you know, they, but no, they're just into it, and their friends are into it, they're into 70s and 80s music and movies, and all of that, so they're very nostalgic about it, and part of that might be, well, that was a simpler time, which it wasn't, but you know, they, that's how we always see, you know, prior generations. Although I never thought that about the sixties and seventies, you know, I thought, no, that wasn't very, but there's part of that, but also they just, they just have a love for that. So you don't feel like usually, you know, when we're more seasoned, we go, well, they're going to laugh at what we talk about, but they, you know, you just, if you look for the right cues, you can connect with them that way. Uh, So don't be afraid to discuss that. And you can also meet in the middle and kind of understand what they're dealing with. One of the things I like to do, is, and I do this in class, but I compare slang, I go, okay, so tell me some of your slang so I can know what this or that mean. What does Riz mean? What does Simp mean? What does Bougie mean? You know, all that. And so, and Sus, and they, you know, and anyone wants to look it up, they can, but they I actually have them test me on it. And then I test them on 80 slang. What does radical mean? What does gnarly mean? You know, and they, they love that stuff and it's a connection with them. So avoid the condescension and connect. A is aptitude adjustment. So they could, and this is very, I mean, a direct line drive, I think, for coaching. They could use greater understanding of not only their skills, which I think they have, you know, to a certain extent, they think I'm, I'm and this is kind of the challenge of growing up where you always got a trophy or whatever. I'm really good at all these things. Well, maybe you are to a certain extent, but there's other things that are marketable that you really excel at. And then look for those things that love to do, right? And then connect that to the meaning, the purpose. So have this just incremental process of understand connectivity, that connective tissue of this is what you bring to the table. Because it's all about, and this is even an old term, the transferable skills. There's things you can do that have value for any any position, any field in the industry. And then you can also, from the coaching perspective, provide special skills. You know, you can focus on those areas. That's one of the things I would note. If there's things that they're not great at, and that's what I help with, like presentation skills, writing skills, things that would help them get better. You know, the, the mantra right now is to focus on strengths. And we test, to identify strengths, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But maybe there's some things that could be strengths if they just had a little push. And maybe the barrier is not that they don't have that skill. But it's their confidence
0: level. Right. So, so, building confidence. Now, you know, in episode 322, I talked about the fact that not everything is a coaching conversation. Right. So, what Dr. Sullivan's talking about right now is being able to bring in maybe some teaching, maybe right. some mentoring, being able to hold up some other options that maybe that person doesn't know about. And, and spotlighting strengths is such a key thing in coaching. So, thank you for that.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Number three, the P. Stress the process. They need to understand the value of incrementalism. That's what I say. Incrementally benchmarking what they can do, what they can accomplish, and understanding. You know, it's it's back to that gaming. You know, the gaming, uh, especially the games I saw. You know, them play like the EA college football, which is a great game, and they keep saying it's coming back. But you get that sense of I can immediately put this team together, and I'm going to be the quarterback or the wide receiver, and I'm just going to—it's just going to happen, right? We're going to score touchdowns and whatnot. And sometimes you see that transfer to when they're actually playing football, and you go, "Oh, okay, I, I'm just going to be really good at this because I—you I, know—it's not that hard." But they don't understand the process and the work and the time it takes and the physical stress and strain to get there. And so it helps to maybe remind them and help, as opposed to saying, "Okay." And so it doesn't hurt definitely to look at the end goal. I think that's really right. helpful. But then to know But
0: there's a process to get to that end goal.
1: Right, right. And okay, you need to understand this is what you need to do to get there and this step's going to provide, you know, item number 1, this step pro- provide item number 2. One thing I also like to say though is and this is another thing you have to think about, okay? Most generations if there was a metaphor for career, it's a ladder. And this is really old, but and so we're, you know, incrementally, we're making these right, steps,
0: step it up the ladder, step entry up the level, ladder.
1: to CEO or whatever. Right. Right. It's really for now more this and the you cell imagine, phone.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, apps, which, Apps, which to me are in, when I mean that, I mean, each of us bring special skills to the table and so many of those skills are valuable across the lines. And, and it also, if you're looking for meaning, meaning you may not feel meaning in becoming the executive. Becoming the CEO, becoming the vice president, or whatever, you may find meeting in this these gig economy jobs, right. and that's another thing you have to look at as well is that they can support themselves on these gig economy jobs, or they can have these freelance side, excuse me, freelance side jobs that can help them, you know, support themselves or, or develop those skills. So it's really more about those skills identification and how those skills bring something distinctive to the market. So and
0: that, lean heavily into their whole concept of purpose again. Absolutely. So it's the whole picture and not everybody's striving to get to CEO. No, no, no. And that's okay.
1: No, 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 absolutely. Well, absolutely it is. And it's not just about, it, but there's still, there's still that sense of ambition. Like I really right. want to do this because I really want to carve out my life as I see it and develop meaning as I see it, as opposed to being attached by a board and all of that. So, or I just, I just really love doing this. And so I can keep right. doing it and keep, and I, I know a lot of people have made that decision, not just Gen Zers to say, I really love this doing this. And so I want to get better and I want to maximize doing this thing, whether it's, you know, it's design, instructional design or something like that. I want to do that. And so as opposed to being a manager, managing right. other people. I really want to do that. So love the fact. Yeah, the final And then one,
0: your final E is?
1: Embrace sacrifice. Because another another gaming factor I would see, you know, watch people playing that, that college football game and they always want to be the receiver, always want to be the quarterback. You know, they wanted to, they really didn't think about, oh, there's these big guys that are protecting us. Right. And they're in, in every field and in every industry and in every company and in every industry, every firm, there are people who do unsung jobs and there's people who have, you know, jobs with some, you know, with a little cachet to them that still require unsung tasks. And you have to embrace those because you can learn from them and you can learn from the people who whose job it is to carry out those unsung tasks on a, you know, a 40 hour a week basis or what have you. And so, you know, embrace those jobs you have to do, the sacrifice and and understand there's value in that and it'll come back and benefit you. So
0: love that. Such sure. important information! Such a rich discussion, uh, Rob. If people want to know more about the work you do, you've written a book. Tell us a little bit about your book.
1: Yeah, yes. What's the plan? And it is a faith-based book, and it it helps. And it focuses on some of those true elements. I have five criteria for determining whether your focus is, you know, now focused, you know, comfort, security, your life, your advancement as you see it more focused on more of a calling, more of that meaning, and how you can develop meaning in your life. And so, it is faith-based, but I think there's value, you know, for others who want to who want to read about how can I go from this, you know, career financial focus to more of a meaning focused. So, Love
0: it. So we'll have a link for that in the show notes, and you also have a podcast. Tell us about right. your podcast.
1: Okay, it's called the Wonkified Podcast. It came up with the name. Maybe it's not the best, but it is aligned with this this concept learning more about gen z it's very it's focused on nerd culture so and it's really nerd and, and faith and that intersection so uh-huh. uh we we've talked about we've we've watched some twilight zone episodes to i love about, that yeah i talked about some of the concepts that come from that some of the real high level concepts we talked about superheroes the various forms of heroes the white hero you know the the Superman model, the Batman, the dark hero, and then anti-heroes. I talked about spaghetti Westerns and that. And so we we spent time on that. now we're going to talk, we're going to focus on monsters. So that's our next series. How cool. Yeah. All right. We'll
0: have links for that podcast in our show notes as well. Anything else as we're wrapping up our time together that you want the audience to know about you and connecting with you?
1: I have... LinkedIn, and you can find me under Robert Sullivan there. I have the Facebook to Facebook. Obviously, my I'd love to connect with people on my just my normal page, Facebook page, but I also have an author page that I'm working on. Excellent. We'll
0: keep our eyes. So, all the links to connect with Rob and the work that he does will be on the show notes for this episode. Dr. Robert Sullivan, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing this important. Concept of a incredible generation of people who are are bringing their work forward yeah. and our future.
1: They're our future, and they're they're a large generation too. Probably more Z Zoomers than there will be Millennials. I think so. Something to think about. Yeah, excellent. Good. Market. Thank you so much. Thank you, Meg.
0: If you'd like to know more about Dr. Robert Sullivan, go to starcoachshow.com slash 334 and pick up the links in the show notes. My conversation with him continued for the Star Coach member community. If you'd like to know more about that, you can find a link in the same show notes at starcoachshow.com slash 334. Next week, I am introducing you to executive and leader coach Lisa Dare. We have a rich leadership discussion. I'm excited to share that with you. And once again, if you are in a place of needing mentor coaching or wanting mentor coaching, which is even better than needing it, I encourage you to consider the May program that's coming up and already filling. It is a hard stop at 10 coaches. So if you're interested in exploring, go to starcoachshow.com mentor, starcoachshow.com slash M-E-N-T-O-R. Until next week, this is Meg Rentsler, wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fantastic week and we'll see you next.